0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracetysd.com.
1: Well, good morning, church. Uh, Shalom, shalom. Um, One of the things that uh, it's been an amazing um, journey for us is the fact that, again, uh, we want to be prayerful, and it's going to be such a, uh, an amazing time today to be reminded of that. So, we're gonna, I'm going to read uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. If you don't have your Bibles, I would uh, ask that you, we do have some free ones at the community tent. You can have those, you can borrow those, and you can actually, we can give it to you for free as well. Um, but right now, let's go ahead, all of us, to be in the Bible, in the scripture and we're going to read together. Afterwards, we're going to pray and uh, I'm going to read a Hebrew blessing also about our Messiah Yeshua. Amen? Amen. All right. So, if you're ready, let's go ahead and read in chapter 6 of Matthew and we're going to start verse 5. And when you pray, you must not like you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Listen. We're going to start reading Jesus' prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So let's read. and um, I'm going to read uh, the Hebrew blessing in Hebrew and then in English, and then we'll pray. Baruch adonai asher natan haYeshua baMashiach Yeshua, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gave us the way of salvation through the Messiah Yeshua. Blessed be He. Amen. Father, Father, we thank you that you have made a way for Jesus Yeshua uh, to be close to the Father. Lord, may you uh, open our hearts, may you open our ears, may we obey and listen, may we pray first and last and during and every second of the day to know that you do that our conversation with you lies in a personal relationship to the creator of the universe. Lord, our identity is wrapped up in you. You are our God. You are our rock. You are our savior. And we pray this as a church in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.
0: All right. Well, good morning. Welcome uh, to Grace City. If this is your first time, my name is Randall. Um, and I would love to meet you. I'm very thankful that you're here this morning. Um, You know, the heart of our church, uh, we stand on God's word. And so I love that God's word is rooted in history. And even as we look at today's uh, prayer, um, the Lord's prayer, we come with this awe, this sense that we're connected to something much bigger than ourselves because we are. And so one of the practices that we do is in obedience to Jesus is uh, we practice baptism. And so last week we had a baptism, and so we have some pictures. John got baptized last week. Where you at, John? John, wave your hand right over here. He's right over here. Um, But uh, just to see God moving in uh, his life, in our church, and um, if you've never took that step of faith of Trusting Jesus in baptism, we encourage you um, to do that out of obedience to him and the goodness of being able to share that together. Um, And so uh, we are going to um, continue today in our series, and we're continuing this series called When We Pray. Um, and so we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. What does that mean for our lives? How do we pray uh, the Lord's Prayer and, and, and incorporate that in the way that we pray? Um, w- before I jump into that one book that's helpful, um, it's been helpful for me and, and I think people in our church, is this book Prayer by Timothy Keller, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. Um, so if you've never read this book and you're interested in growing deeper in prayer, uh, meet me up here afterwards. I'll give you this book. Hey, that saves you 20 bucks. This is a this is a hefty book. There's a lot about prayer in here, and so I uh, would love to give this to you um, and just share that as you uh, dive deeper into prayer. Uh, but we are, we are looking specifically at the Lord's Prayer, and so our text for this morning is Matthew 6, uh, 5 through 14, but we're really going to be diving into verses 11 and 12, uh, because if you're just joining us, this is week three, and so we are looking at uh, this section, Learning How to Ask. Learning how to ask. Now, um, author Charles Perrault, in one of his lesser known short stories, uh, wrote a story called The Ridiculous Wishes. The Ridiculous Wishes. And if you've never heard of this, it's it's it was actually before uh, Arabian Nights, like many of us know, with the three wishes that um, the, the genie gives. Um, but here's a little bit of, of Perrault's uh, The Ridiculous Wishes. And so here here's what it says. There was once a poor woodcutter who, tired of his hard life, longed for rest in the world to come. In his unhappiness, he declared that in All his days, heaven had not granted even one of his wishes. One day in the woods, as the cutter was complaining of his unhappy lot, Jupiter appeared before him, his thunderbolts in his hands. It would be difficult to picture the terror of the poor man. I desire nothing, he said, casting himself on the ground. I will give up my wishes if you, in turn, will give up your thunder. That's a fair exchange. Have no fear, said Jupiter, I've heard your complaints, and I've come to show you how unfairly you judge me. Now, listen, I am king of all the world, and I promise to grant your first three wishes, no matter what they may be, so that you may, uh, so that you may be made happy and content. And since your happiness depends on them, think carefully before you make them. And so he comes home that night. Filled with joy. I, I get three wishes. I can wish for anything. Shares this with his wife. His wife is excited as well. And so they uh, have a nice meal together. They, they drink together. They're sitting by the fire. And this woodcutter says, you know what would be really good with the drink right now is some sausage. I wish, for some, I wish we had some sausage. And he just says it. And all of a sudden, sausage. And his wife looks at him and says, she says, why would you wish for that? Sausage. No, you could, you could wish for anything. Why would you wish for that? And this woodcutter, just, she just starts yelling at him, screaming at him. He gets so upset and he says, well, I wish that sausage were on your nose. And all of a sudden, the, the sausage is on her nose. It's stuck to her nose. And out of sheer terror, he, he wished that his wife would be turned back to normal. Here's the end. So the woodcutter cu- did not change his lot. He did not become a king. His purse was not filled with gold. He was only too glad to use his remaining wish in restoring his poor wife to her former state. Now, this is a comedy, Right? But what's the point of it? It's this that we think we know what we need, but we ultimately don't have the wisdom to really know. The wisdom to really know. On our own, our asking is ridiculous wishes. you thought about that? That our asking is ridiculous wishes. How do we ask for what's best? How do we ask for what's best? Over the month of November, we've studied the Lord's Prayer and how this is an important prayer for every Christian, every believer. See, Jesus instructs his disciples on how to pray. Why did he do this? because many times we don't know how to pray. And the beautiful part is that God doesn't condemn us for not knowing how to pray. But in Luke 11, 1, his disciples came to him with the same question, can you teach us to pray? See, what they were looking for was the, some type of pattern, some type of guide, some type of direction on how to pray. And Jesus gives them this prayer. He gives it to them in both the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. Now, author, pastor Daniel Henderson said in the original Greek, Jesus' admonition to pray this way was a present imperative, which makes this a command that we are to always and continually obey. Jesus was serious about our need to learn to pray according to this pattern. For many of us, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, it's just another piece of Scripture that we don't quite understand. And so the pattern of breaking this down, uh, Henderson gives, we talked about this last week, but it's, it's this upward, starting upward to God. See, as we, we bring many of our requests, our requests usually start with me. But the pattern that we see in the Lord's Prayer is to start with God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's to look at the character and the traits of God and see who he is. And then what that does is it settles us into who we're talking to. It's coming downward in humility. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then we get to the part, what we're going to look at today is the inward for needs. Again, this is in verses 11 and 12. Give us our daily bread. This is our resource needs. God understands our resource needs. Forgive us our debts. This is about relational needs that we have all around us. We need God's grace in every moment, in every interaction. And then it sends us outward for battle. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. What this is telling us is that there is a spiritual battle and there's temptations that we can be drawn into on a daily basis. And we need God's help and direction and guidance each moment. See, the Lord's Prayer starts by learning to seek God's face. You're gonna, if you read all through the Old Testament, you're going to see this, this, this direction of like, what does it look like to seek God's face, seek a relationship with him before we seek his hand? And you know what this is like. Because have you ever heard, ha- had, had that relationship before with somebody who, who the only time you hear from them is when they need something from you? They're not calling to check in and say, hey, how's things going? What's going on in your life? They're they're just there to say, hey, I I really need you to do this for me. What does that feel like? Not good, right? And so as we think about our relationship with God, we're seeing that God is saying, hey, I'm seeking to be in relationship with you. And I understand your needs, but I want to be with you first. And so in today's text, we see this shift from God's face to his hand, and it's a lesson on how to ask God for our needs. Interestingly, throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he encourages his followers to ask. He encourages us to ask. See, for some of us, it's very hard to ask. I'm one of those people asking for help very hard. Why? Why? It's not necessarily tied to, I just don't want to inconvenience people, but some of it is tied to my pride. I just don't want to ask for help. And so, Jesus challenges that thing inside of us in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, when he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what we're looking at here is the heart of God who God is, right? For some of us, we don't ask because we think, okay, God, I don't quite trust you. I don't quite know if your character is, you're really faithful and you're really good. But we see in Psalm 34 when it says uh, that, that the, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear and trust him. And then it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you look at that passage, if you do some studying and research on it, it's, it's, you're going to taste a level of goodness by trusting him in faith. It's not going to be that you just happen to find it, but it's, but it's actually out of trusting him in faith that you're going to experience a goodness that you couldn't have believed possible. And so, again, reshaping the way that we see God as father, but he's a good father. And so for some of us, we've experienced absent father. We've experienced a really abusive father. We've experienced things that, that twist and turn in our minds when we think of the word father. But God is saying, hey, I, I am encouraging you that I'm not like the earthly fathers that you've experienced. But my character is different. And I'm good. And so our text again this morning is is from Matthew 6, and we're going to dive into 11 and 12. Now, to give some context here, Matthew is is a Jewish author. Uh, He was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his people. Uh, he, he becomes a disciple of Jesus. And so this is a very radical transformation that happens in his life. And now he is writing specifically to a Jewish audience. And so throughout the book of Matthew, you're going to see a lot of Old Testament references. Now up to this point, uh, Jesus is teaching. And he has uh, got to this place where he is uh, talking about some specific ways that the kingdom of God comes into our life. Uh, what is the kingdom of God like? What, is, what, is, what does it look like to, to be a true follower of God? And what he says is basically it's somebody who's been radically changed by God and who are now living no longer for themselves but actually living for the glory of God, living for the kingdom of God. And so uh, we're not building our little castles but we are building and, and, and investing in and living for the kingdom of God. And in chapter 6, uh, this introduces us to the section where, where Jesus talks about different religious activities, right? Religious activities are addressed here. Uh, some of this is our giving to the poor. And so as a disciple of Jesus, there's something to, uh, for us to, to give and to sacrifice to those who, who are around us who are in need. He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. And so, again, when he talks about these specific things, he's saying these are not if activities, but they're how activities. It's not if you do them, but if you're a follower of God, it's how do we do this? How do we give? How do we pray? How do we fast? And so, the question this morning is how do we ask for what's best? And what we're saying is best is not what I think, but what God thinks. How do we ask for that? Well, the Lord's Prayer reminds us that God knows our, number one, daily needs, number two, resource needs, and number three, relational needs. So that's how we're breaking out from today's text, but daily needs, res- resource needs, relational needs. And so the first one is daily needs. Now, verse 11, the first part says, give us this day. Give us this day. And now, so verse 11, let's start with the give us part. Uh, first, give is a reminder of our continual reliance upon God. When you are given something, uh, this is in very stark contrast to you earned it, it was given. It's a it's a gift. Right. So um, this is a reminder of that God, everything that we have is a gift from God given to us. Wasn't because we accomplished it. Second, it's us. Right. So we live in the, the most individualistic society, some say in the history of the world so self individualistic uh that to the point where, where like Barner Research did some studies and they said um we don't we don't really pray corporately we we do it only alone, and we do it silently they said there's just all this research like we we don't feel comfortable like and and, and basically we, they tied it to they said, i think it's because of the individualistic nature of us as a people, and so they did this study and research in America, and it's very different from the way that the rest of the world operates, but what this us reminds us of is that everyone is continually relying on God, whether they believe in God or not, this is a corporate need, give us, Jesus talks about it later, but but basically he's talking about this, this thing called common grace says that the sun rises on the the righteous and the unrighteous. Basically, the the rain comes for the righteous and the unrighteous. Like, there's a common grace that God has given humanity, which reminds us of his goodness, whether people believe in him or not. But now it's corporately coming and saying, okay, give us. We need this. Acts 17, 24-25 reminds us of this. Um, it says that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He gives everyone Life and breath and everything else. And so the reason that I am alive and breathing in all of us is because of the grace of God. See, the message of the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is the the encapsulating work of God in the world, ultimately through Jesus Christ, but much broader in that it's all that he's done. It's this posture of receiving, not achieving. Receiving, not achieving. We're going to dive into that in just a minute. But um, commentator Leon Morris says this. Give recognizes that our basic food is not the result of our unaided endeavor. It is the gift of God. While today is important as pointing to a day-by-day reliance on God, the prayer encourages a continuing dependence on God. It does not uh, countenance a situation in which the disciple asks God for supply for a lengthy period, after which prayer he can go on for some time in forgetfulness of God. He depends on God constantly, and this dependence is expressed in this prayer. Okay, so we're going to dive into that, but, but basically this is not an unaided endeavor so that we can just kind of go on with our life. I already prayed about that. God gave me what I needed back then, and I'm not really, you know, it's, it's just, it's continual. See, what is the trap that many of us fall into? We compartmentalize God in our lives. We compartmentalize him. And so, okay, God, I talk to you on Sunday, but I got to figure things out on Monday. The truth is, the God that we serve, the the God of the Bible, can't be compartmentalized. It's impossible. He is sufficient for every area of our lives. And what this does is this prayer realigns us to the reality that God gives. And everything we have is from him. I remember very early on in in, uh, me and my wife's marriage, you know, you get, you, we, we, we got married, we got our first job, I'm doing ministry, working at a church, my wife's teaching, and we're just kind of like, we're, we're doing a lot. And, and, and so we just kind of got to that place where you're like, okay, this is kind of the natural phase of where you like go buy your house. You know, you go buy a home. It's kind of the natural thing you do. This age in this stage of our lives, and so that's what we're gonna do, I guess. And uh, we bought in 2007. I don't know, you know what happened in 2008, but it wasn't good, right? <laughs> that's when we bought. And literally a month ago, I was driving with my wife, and we were thinking about that. I was like, man, remember when that happened? That was not a good plan. And we're looking back, and I asked her, I said, I'm sorry that we didn't even pray about that. We didn't pray about it. I'm in ministry. We just did it because I guess that was the natural thing you do. And God taught us a lesson. We depend on him for everything. But I thank God for that lesson. Verse 11, this day. Again, this is a reminder of how often we need God. Daily, daily. The word translated daily indicates the, this ancient understanding that daily fits with the idea of for the coming day. For the coming day. Now again, how do we naturally think? Do I think for the coming day? Because what this is telling me is prayer is constant. in Morning, prayer in the evening, prayer coming to God, asking him continually for his aid, for his help. A moment-by-moment dependence on God. What can keep us from this? The illusion that we are achieving things apart from God. It's the illusion. The illusion. I was sitting uh, this week, a group of pastors. One of the pastors shared his story. Came from a very abusive home. Father was absent. And so, for his life, he said, I'm going to prove that I'm worthwhile. I'm going to prove that I matter. And so in everything he did, he, he uh, at one point was one of the top surfers in the world. Um, later in his life, he started doing um, marathons, and then he started doing triathlons, became one of the top triathletes in the world while jumping in and doing ministry. Going at a rapid pace. While he's competing at the world championships, gets hit by a car. They said he died. Right there in the street. They bring him back. He's laying in his hospital bed, looking at his kids. And he said, the Lord spoke this to me as clear as day. He said, I never asked you to achieve anything. I've only asked you to receive. And he said, it took me laying in a hospital bed where I could no longer achieve anything. And I felt at my lowest point worthless that the Lord told me that I was worth something. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. We were dead. And God looked at us and said, you're valuable. Not by anything you do, but because of who I am. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Second, resource needs. Look at verse 11. See, this brings us low, and and it raises us up. It says, our daily bread. What does this tell us? That God knows and cares about our physical needs. He knows and cares about them. But how does this prayer instruct us to think? Again, daily. It's not once, it says it. It's twice. When you see things repeated in the Bible, it's emphasizing something. This is a pattern of saying, I want you to get this message. It is daily, our daily bread. Now, is that how we naturally think? Again, we think weeks, months, years in advance. We have our six-month, one-year, five-year, ten-year strategy. I was planning bad? No. But is it planning apart from God and understanding that we are daily dependent on him bad? Yes. Every moment of every day. Because for many of us we think I'm going to put my trust in something other than God. That is the natural state of our hearts. I was just reading this morning Psalm 49. And basically, he was talking about the deception of placing your hope in wealth. And, and as we know, the uncertain, it just says the uncertainty of wealth. We don't want the manna for the day. We want the manna for the next 20 years. God says, I'm only promising today. See, where do we see this message in the Bible? Exodus 16. God's people in the desert. What does he do? He gives them manna from heaven. How often? Every day. What was the point? You are not to store it for yourselves, but I'm going to feed you every day. Did they get the message? No. They start complaining. Well, I wanted quail. He's like, he gives them quail. That's not enough. And they start gorging. It's like The message is daily trust. Commentator Craig Blomberg says this. He says, Christians, therefore, should pray daily for the next day's provision of life's essentials. As they recognize that all sustenance for one's life comes from God and he makes no long-term future guarantees. That's scary. The average affluent Westerner more than likely plans and prays for annual bread except perhaps in times of extreme crisis. It is also worth noting that the prayer makes requests for our needs and not our greed. Our needs, not our greed. Yes, ask God for what you need. And this is a daily reliance and trust upon him. Lastly, relational needs. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, this now moves us from our resource needs to our relational needs. And what we see is this, again, it's the gospel order. What is the gospel order? It is what God does before he asks us to do anything. Right? It's the, it's the indicatives before the imperatives, if that makes sense. So it's the indicatives of, like, here's what's done before the go and do these things. That's what this is. Forgive us our debts. This is the vertical relationship of continually seeing and experiencing the goodness of God and what he's done and what he's forgiven us of. See, what is the the message, the Christian message rooted in? What I've done for God? No. No. It's what God has done for me, for you, for us. And what we see as we see the grandness of what he's done, it transforms us. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Where does my... Ability to forgive the debts that I'm holding, the grudges of against others. Where do I find the resource for that? Is it just in me? No, it's in Him. How? Because I understand He has forgiven me on such a grand scale. C.S. Lewis said it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I can be a person of forgiveness, grace, Mercy, kindness, tenderheartedness, because God has shown me that in Jesus, in the work of Jesus. I can't do it otherwise. Lastly, as we also have forgiven our debtors, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Again, this takes us to the horizontal relationships of life. How many of us have just walked around just beat up because of relationships, right? People that we've placed our trust in, things that haven't gone through. John Stott says it this way. He says, this certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. It's not about earning, right? It is rather that God forgives only the penitent and that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear, by comparison, extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. What does Jesus talk about this in the, the Sermon on the Mount, right? He talks about the, the, the plank in your own eye in comparison to the speck in the other. Let's just be honest. The plank is painful, isn't it? It's painful. But once God can, he can remove planks so that by the grace of God, he can remove specks. When I see my sin is more grievous and that God could forgive me, that I can look at a world and say, Lord, help me to be a forgiving person because of your grace and mercy. How is this done? Through prayer. Through prayer. See, I I, I love I love the different stories throughout scripture, and, and there's different moments throughout scripture, like Nehemiah, who's just he's just in this situation that's way over his head, and it just says that he just said the simple prayer. You just prayed. God hears those prayers. He cares about those prayers. And so how can we learn to grow in prayer? Well, number one is prayer grows through prioritizing. Prioritizing. Corey Ten Boom. Ex- Experienced the horrors of concentration at tr- concentration camp in Nazi, Nazi Germany. That's what we're talking about here. So, Corey Boom says, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is it my steering wheel or is it my spare tire? And so, this is somebody who, again, understands. The, the depths of how much we need God on a daily basis. And so what this encourages us is to build a rhythm for prayer into our life. Right? Because what this is is a rhythm. It's learning. It's growing. This could be something that's first thing in the morning. What is our natural rhythm in the morning? Because we all have rhythms. Let me say a confession. For much of my life with a phone, me and the phone have this relationship where we talk to each other first thing in the morning. That's not a good thing. It's a distraction. And so there's something that's had to be reprioritized in my life or say, you know what? I, it's not that I don't have time. It's that my priorities are in the wrong place. And so the, the phone's staying over there and I'm going downstairs away from it so that I can actually focus on my time with God. But, but that's like, that's, that's got to be intentional, right? And so you've got to make these decisions, For us, a rhythm in our church, Wednesday morning, we're going to be praying over at the park. That's what we do. Prayer at 10 a.m. each Sunday. Why, like, why do we do these things? Because we have to have some rhythm for prayer in our lives, or it's just not going to happen. And we, we learn to pray. We grow in prayer by prioritizing prayer. And what we find is that prayer is an invitation from God Not a have to, but a get to. And that's worth prioritizing. Second, prayer grows through persistence. Through persistence. I have always been fascinated by the life of St. Patrick. I, I just, each year, I revisit a book entitled The Celtic Way of Evangelism. It's basically talking about how God worked through St. Patrick to reach a culture and a people that were very far from God. But what we find is that St. Patrick was very far from God. God found him. And in the book, it gives the life story of St. Patrick. And he lived around 400 A.D. And when he was 16 years old, he was captured by pirates, sold into slavery, and sent to Ireland. As a slave... He was given the, ta- given the task of pasturing the flocks. When uh, Patrick was younger, he grew up in a Christian home, and so he'd heard all of the stories from the Scripture. He- he'd heard of who God was. But then in this place of pasturing the flocks now, enslaved in Ireland, is when he experienced God for himself. God became real. Up to that point, he never took it seriously until he was alone with these flocks. And here's what he wrote later in his autobiography confession. He says, After I had arrived in Ireland, I found myself pasturing flocks daily, and I prayed a number of times each day More and more, the love and fear of God came to me, and faith grew, and my spirit was exercised until I was praying up to a hundred times every day and in the night nearly as often. The love of his heavenly Father captured his heart. And he's praying continually. God gives him a vision. Basically, he leaves Ireland, he's dreaming one night, had a dream, basically gets off the island there, goes back to his home, then goes into ministry, trains up, and God gives him another vision to go back to the people that had enslaved him. And so that's what he did. See, St. Patrick's Day isn't about dressing up in green and doing all these crazy things like we made in our culture. (laughs) It's about someone who prayed and heard from God and radically trusted God and said, Lord, not my wishes, but your wishes be done in my life. See, how do we know that God hears our prayers? How, how do we know that he responds when we ask? The way we know is when we turn to Gethsemane, where. We see the great links that God went for us. Matthew 26, 39 says this Going a little farther, he, Jesus, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, at great cost to himself, Jesus asked for the judgment we deserved so that he that we could so that we could experience the freedom of knowing God as father the son chose to be rejected so that we could be heard at every level jesus faced the pains of life so that we could experience the riches of knowing god as father and that when we ask he hears and knows what we really need. Not wishful thinking, but what we really need. And so glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer that right now you hear us and you're with us So if we, today, just bring a simple, silent prayer, you hear us. If we speak it out loud, you know us. You understand in a way that no one on this earth could ever understand. And so thank you, God, for choosing to be Emmanuel, God, with us. And we pray that today, We will learn how to ask in a way that honors you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.